The NCAA is considering some transformative changes, plus we'll take a look at the college transfer portal and hear about NBA media rights negotiations from someone who was a big part of the last two deals. It's Wednesday, December 6th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. NCAA President Charlie Baker has made some major proposals that could open the door to some form of direct athlete compensation. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. So NCAA President Charlie Baker published this letter to or he sent it to the D1 schools that had a number of proposals. One of them yeah, opens the door to directly paying college athletes. Um, what does it say and what's your reaction to all that? Yeah, so the letter kind of has a few main suggestions, um, basically predicated on the idea that um, the NCAA needs to reform and needs to present its own plan for reform, given the fact that there are all these other outside forces that want to reform the NCAA for it, right? Um, yeah, namely the federal government, federal right? Government, um, federal government, federal court, you know, people... Uh, who are um, sort of engaged in litigation against the NCA and federal court, National Labor Relations Board, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so Baker's proposal essentially says that Division I schools who make enough money um, should be allowed to sort of I guess, loosen regulations on their own um, compensation rules for what they give athletes from an educational perspective, right? Like the educational benefits. That was like one of the things he said. Another thing he said was that athletes should be able to pay um, or to, to sign NIL deals with their athletes, like share in that revenue. That's pretty... Um, that's not the case now, right? I mean, there's group licensing deals, which is like a school's intellectual property can be used alongside an athlete if both of them sign off on it, but it's not like they're sharing that money. And then the third thing, which is sort of what you were referring to and what people say is the most quote unquote revolutionary is that a certain quote subdivision of the school's that make, you know, a lot of money should be required to put $30,000 um, per, so it's like for up to half of their athlete, minimum half of their athletes, right? Like $30,000 per athlete into an educational trust fund um, every year. So that's theoretically what would be like, quote unquote, compensating them. So just to zoom in on that last part, so would it be that each athlete gets their own fund and they get $30,000 per year in that fund or up to $30,000 per year? Um, and is that all athletes in the school, like, you know, half of the football team, the basketball team, but also the volleyball team, the squash team, it's like half of all athletes? Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know. Um, it didn't specify what I think the deciding factor is going to be is um, obviously 
they would have to comply with Title IX, which is the federal statute requiring um, athletic departments to give equal opportunities and resources uh, between male and female athletes. So we think like that would be the deciding factor. Um, and then the other thing is like from a logistical standpoint, I don't know if all the money would be pulled together in one trust fund or each athlete gets their own. And then also why only half of them? I don't know. Um, but I think title nine would likely be like the deciding answer to your question there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Obviously some details are still to be hashed out and this is still just a proposal right now. That piece about, um, the, uh, schools being able to share an NIL revenue and have it kind of be more of a direct, like the school kind of maybe coordinates one of these NIL deals and shares them with the students how did how do you react to that? If you could unpack that for me. I mean, like immediately my head goes to, okay, is that the mechanism that would allow athletes to get a share of media rights revenue? Um, because there is uh, a federal court case that front office sports is covering and has covered um, that is essentially arguing that NIL should be that. Uh, that media rights revenue should be NIL revenue because the athletes are like their faces are on TV, they're playing the game, therefore it's their name, their image, their likeness, and they should get a share in these huge deals. Um, Currently that's prohibited on NCAA rules, like very specifically. Um, So I think that there would need to be a clarification. And I think it's like probably knowing the NCAA, it's purposefully vague how they phrased it because how they phrased it is pretty much just like what I said to you. Um, so my number one question would be like, if that, or not my number one question, my number one observation would be if it included media rights revenue. Um, so like athletes could get a share of, you know, the big tens deal with Fox and CBS and NBC or the SEC's deal with ESPN. Like that would be that that would be significant to me. Other than that, doesn't feel as significant. Are there any other pieces of this puzzle that we should be considering here as we kind of figure out what's going on? I mean, ultimately, like I think the reaction was interesting. Um, everyone was calling this like revolutionary. They were calling it unprecedented. You know, I don't think it's particularly revolutionary. Um, there are folks who, you know, have covered this beat longer than I have who pointed out. Um, you know, maybe not even journalists, but like advocates, people involved in these lawsuits that like this specific proposal was an idea that was floated a decade ago as a result of the court case that allowed for NIL rights. So, you know, I, I find it to be like a potentially like a step in, you know, a forward moving direction, but I don't think that it doesn't, address the main question that is going to be the number one question about college sports next year and moving forward that everyone is trying to answer in court and in Congress, which is our athletes employees, right? Like this is giving them a little more money than they had yesterday or the day before, but it doesn't answer the question of whether or not, you know, their employees, it doesn't give them employee status, which seems to be where a lot of this is going. Um, so I personally did not find it to be as revolutionary as some other people have. Amanda Christovich, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you.
The transfer portal has opened, and over a thousand college football players have entered in the first 24 hours. If NIL is the current version of compensation in college athletics, the transfer portal is its free agency, and these two things are linked. In addition to playing time and the myriad other reasons one might transfer schools, athletes are going to where they can find NIL money. Nebraska head coach Matt Rule laid that out recently, saying, Make no mistake, a good quarterback in the portal costs $1 million to $1.5 million to $2 million right now, there are some teams that have six to seven million dollar players playing for them. And it's not just the players that are seeing opportunity in the portal. Schools and coaches like the ability to bring in players that have already proven something at the collegiate level. Deion Sanders, who has made aggressive use of the portal, explained that saying, high school to me is like draft choices in the NFL. The portal is free agency and we're in free agency right now. The number of students entering the portal exploded from 797 in 2021 to 2,341 in 2022, according to On3. Went up again this year to 2,735, and it doesn't look like this trend is slowing down anytime soon. A golf-themed bar called X-Golf Cedar Rapids in Iowa is tying its fortunes to the Iowa football team in a unique way. Last weekend, they ran a promotion during Iowa's final match of the regular season where they offered free beer until Iowa scored. The idea was presumably that they would get people into the bar for at least one free drink, maybe more, and once the Hawkeyes scored, well, you're already there, maybe you stick around and order some food and some paid drinks. But Iowa's up against Michigan, possibly the top team in the country, and they did not score a single point. Michigan won 26-0, and no one had to pay for their beer. Following the game, the bar announced that not only did they not go bankrupt, they are running it back. In this year's Cheez-It Citrus Bowl on January 1st, the Hawkeyes will take on the Tennessee Volunteers, and ex-Golf Cedar Rapids patrons will once again drink for free until Iowa scores. Here's guessing that someone in Cedar Rapids is going to start some kind of excuse on January 2nd with, well, it all started because the Hawkeyes have no offense. Up next, I spoke to David Levy, co-founder and co-CEO of Horizon Sports and Experiences. Before founding HSE, Levy was the president of Turner, where he helped negotiate that company's piece of the last two NBA media rights deals. The league is currently negotiating the next one, which is going to be one of the biggest media deal sets in history. So I got to pick his brain about that and hear about his current company, which is coming at sports from a different angle. And that conversation is coming up next. I'm joined now by David Levy, co-founder and co-CEO of Horizon Sports and Experiences. Welcome, David. Owen, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So we've got a lot going on. Uh, You're one of the organizers of the Pickleball Slam 2, which has pickleball players facing off against tennis legends. Uh, What's the story behind this event? So it all started uh, when uh, Chris Weil, my partner, and I um, started the agency uh, HS&E, and we had a focus really on five different areas that we wanted to focus on as far as IP was concerned. One was women's sports. Two was soccer. Three was golf. Uh, Four was um, Formula One. And the last one was pickleball. And the reason why we wanted to focus on pickleball is it was new. It was rising. It's the fastest growing sport in the U.S. We were trying to figure out a way to get in since we weren't part of the professional pickleball um, leagues that are, are that are around. So the idea was very simple. It came from my days over at Turner, where we thought about destination programming um, in the sports market space. And we t- when we did the match at Turner and Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson for a nine million dollar purse uh, on a pay per view event, it was basically taking the best players in golf and putting them in a head to head competition. 
And so with that kind of vision, we thought about pickleball, the rising sport, and taking the best racket players in the world, the biggest brand names, and at the time was Agassi, McEnroe, Roddick, and Chang, and putting them in a million-dollar purse live on ESPN. And that was really as simple as it was. Um, And most of this destination programming, it needs to be that simple. If you can't articulate what the idea is in less than 30 seconds, it's probably not worth doing. And so fastest growing sport in America, taking the biggest brand names in racket sports and having them play for a million dollar purse seems pretty simple and easy. And of course, it was a success, which then led to Slam 2, which we now have uh, airing on February 4th uh, in primetime on ESPN a week before the Super Bowl. And we have McEnroe and Maria Sharapova playing up against Agassi and Steffi Graf, which I think is going to be amazing. Um, we're excited about it. Sales have been great. Um, and uh, that came about because in Slam 1, Steffi Graf actually came out on the court and the response uh, of her being out there and what went on in social and on Twitter uh, proved to us that it would be a great opportunity to have the husband and wife team of Agassi and Steffi play against each other, with, play with each other against uh, Sharapova and McEnroe. I'm going to hop over to a different topic, which is um, that you tapping into your experience as president of Turner, which you were for a good little while. Um, and you, know, you saw that company through two media rights negotiations with the NBA. Uh, for starters, is it a lot of, is a lot of phone calls? There's in-person meetings, uh, you know, just, emails and texts going back and forth, uh, what, like physically, logistically, how did these negotiations happen? Well, I mean, from a legal perspective, let's start there. Legally, there is a um, negotiation period that's built into these contracts. So from a legal perspective, the NBA will talk to their incumbents over a exclusive period of time to try to work out a deal uh, that the NBA would, would want to um, give to their owners uh, and that the and that TNT or Turner uh, and ESPN would accept as far as what they're willing to pay. So the first thing you have to do is you have um, a conversation with your incumbents um, and try to figure out the best opportunity for a price. And do they want to stick with that price? And will the NBA accept that price? Um, then after that, after that exclusive window, um, I think then you have the opportunity to go to other uh, distribution partners and see what the opportunities may or may not be. So um, in this negotiation, um, certainly what has changed um, versus when I did negotiations close to seven years ago um, and and did a long-term deal with the NBA is there weren't any streaming services back then. Um, There wasn't, the social platforms weren't growing as big as they were. Um, So there's many, many different opportunities in the marketplace for the NBA and where the viewers are going where the consumers are. Um, You see that there's a lot of court cutting happening in the marketplace, um, which uh, is is declining a universe base, both on ESPN uh, and with Turner. Um, There's a lot of direct-to-consumer products out there. And so if I'm the NBA, you have to look to where the viewers are going. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised that the NBA is thinking about Amazon, Apple, Google, YouTube, uh, Netflix, uh, as new opportunities. And then Turner and ESPN, from what I understand, both of them are now going to have some of their product be streaming on Max and on ESPN Plus. And that's even prior before this deal even ends. I think Max is actually putting it on 
during this fourth quarter uh, of NBA. So um, you have the incumbents also having new platforms <clears throat> that they didn't have when I negotiated. There was no HBO Max or Max at uh, Time Warner when I was negotiating early on. And there was no ESPN Plus when ESPN was negotiating that deal way back when. So I think the 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 marketplace has changed. And if I was the NBA, and I'm certainly they are looking at it, there may be a third or even a fourth partner that may arise based on the price they're looking for. And and also to generate the next, uh, you know, you, one thing that all leagues must do is generate the next generation of fans or, or create the next generation of fans, right? And so that means you have to go where those fans are. And if they're not on cable anymore, then you got to make sure you find places. And I think the NFL is a good example um, how they've used way back when. I think they used Yahoo as one of their platforms uh, for a few of their games now on Amazon on Thursday nights. Um, so um, the NFL has done a good job in in making sure that they generate the, those next generation of fans. If you're the NBA in this situation, does, doesn't it make sense for them to just kind of slow walk their way through this exclusive period so that, uh, you know, because on the other side of that, yeah, you've got Amazon, Apple, uh, some reports that NBC wants back in, Netflix could be getting in. Um, don't you want to put that pressure on ESPN and Turner to bid against those other players? And what benefit does the NBA have beyond sort of this legal requirement that it sees itself through this negotiating period? What benefit does it have to actually strike a deal in that period? Well, you know, that doesn't mean they won't strike a deal that gives them the opportunity to also go to other options, right? I mean, you know, they could they could still close a deal with both Turner and ESPN and in that carve out opportunity to go to another one or two other partners, whether it's NBC and Amazon or just Amazon or just Apple or or just Netflix, right? So um, the, there's no need to slow roll it. It's, it's a question of can they provide a deal that works for everyone during the time slot? So, and remember, the incumbents, if you're the NBA, you know, there's a very long standing, I mean, I, 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 30 years of a relationship, 30 plus years relationship when I was at Turner with the NBA. Um, we have a great creative team that works with the NBA. We have great production. We have great talent. Not we anymore, but Turner has great production, great talent. Um, you know, that that's something that's valuable to Adam uh, and the NBA uh, uh, team owners. Uh, and ESPN is one of the biggest sports platforms in the world. So um, if you can create a deal within its time frame that allows you to continue to grow your business and to create the next generation of fans where the fans are going, then that's why you wouldn't slow roll it, as you said. That's not that's not my words. Those are your words. Um, but figure out a way to negotiate um, and come up with the best deal for the NBA that allows them to continue to look at other partners and where and where consumers are. And when it comes to finding, you know, the the number of years, the amount of money, the number of games that everyone gets, um, it, it seems like that's a challenge no matter what. But especially in this world where not only do you have to project, um, you know, things like how how interested people are going to be in the NBA, 
number of cable subscribers, but also, yeah, number of streaming subscribers, you know, are, is that going to be consolidated to a few services or spread over a number one? Uh, how many people are just on the NBA streaming app? You know, all these things that are, it feels like there are many more variables than we used to have. Yeah. There's also new opportunities, right? Right, right. So I'm just wondering, you know, is there a sort of a formula for getting to a package that everyone says, okay, this this feels about right, we're satisfied, but not too satisfied? Because um, that's the only thing I can think of is when everyone feels like this is a good deal, but not so good that it's not good so good for anyone that someone feels like they're leaving something on the table. There's a little bit of art to it as you as you're trying to explain what you're saying. Yes, there's a little bit of art to it. Obviously, you don't want to cut your package back so much where it's not the value that you think you want to give to your distributors. I mean, you know, um, you know, the distributors pay for TNT and they pay for ESPN and they pay a nice chunk of change for both of those networks. And if the NBA completely left Turner, um, what would Comcast or Charter want to pay for TNT without the NBA on it? Right. But then there has to be enough NBA content to keep the value of what Turner believes the value is and what the operators believe the value is. But I think you can also create new value. I mean, the NBA has done a terrific job in this in-season tournament, which um, is, is, I believe, was a brilliant um, uh, idea from Adam and from the team owners to create this in-season tournament for games that typically weren't as important um, in the past, meaning the early November and December games, um, early NBA games were kind of got lost during the, uh, NFL season. I mean, they were good, but you know, people were, weren't paying as much attention. Now you have this tournament and, you know, some of the players make, you know, some, some decent money. Um, and these games have now the look and feel, the court looks different. The uniforms look different. The viewer knows they're watching something that isn't, that is not a, just a normal regular season game, even though it counts for both. Um, and that may be valuable now to carve out of your existing packages from ESPN and from Turner. And there may be somebody that really wants that in season tournament, that it actually has real value and differentiation. And maybe they market it differently. Right. So um, sometimes you have the ability to create new value within your existing ecosystem. Um, and I think that's going to be part of I, I bet you that in-season tournament. Um, I don't know, but I would assume that in-season tournament is going to be a key piece uh, of a third or a fourth package um, that gets possibly pulled out from the ESPN Turner. Before we let you go, so I was going to ask you for a prediction. So I, I think I'm with you on ESPN and Turner are going to have some piece of this pie. Um, any thoughts on who or just what kind of entity um, we might expect to, to take the rest of it? It's hard to, to predict. I would only say that um, the two, what I would say, front runners um, and putting NBC on the side for a minute, um, but the two front runners that I think would be, would be Amazon and Apple, only because Amazon is already into live sports. They have the NFL, they have one championship, uh, which is an M&A product. Uh, they have some baseball with the Yankees. Uh, and of course, Apple has done a terrific job uh, with MLS right now. And, you know, will they want to expand off of that? Uh, and both of them are global entities, right? They're, they're global brands. And of course, Amazon is really uh, taking the lead on that in many ways, shape or forms around the world. So, and the NBA is probably one of the most global brands, sports brands other than soccer, 
uh, out there in the marketplace. So I would say those two are probably only because of what they've done today being in the lead position. Um, you know, but of course, NBC, um, if, if one, if ESPN and or Turner don't, don't believe they have enough value, that may be somebody that may come in uh, as their other partner. Uh, David Levy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. That's it for today. Subscribe, tell a friend about the show, drop us a rating or review. Your feedback is valued and welcome. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.